You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Uh, We're in the Together in this series, and... um, Do you want me to hold that for you? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. And uh, I got got my, my, uh, my, my great friend here, my brother... Uh, the man I work with. Not uh, your real brother. Not my real brother. My brother in, in the Lord. Yes. Um, <laughs> Ryan Phipps. Can we welcome Ryan Phipps here to church? Yeah. Ryan Phipps is, is the lead pastor of our church in Manhattan. And um, yeah, I'm glad he's here. So what you need to know about Ryan and I is that we are completely and utterly uh, two different people. Like, I mean, like, two different people totally. Um, you guys know how I There's love sports? There's no cream or sugar in this. I drink it black. You, uh, <laughs> you know how we're... Uh, wait, wait, you know how I love sports? I'm a big sports fan. I, I really enjoy them. I, I was like, Ryan. I was like, hey, man, do you want to go to a baseball game with me? And this is what Ryan did. I have to show you. I was like, Ryan, do you want to go to a baseball game with me? And he goes... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, man, um, because we're that different. Uh, but I went. Yeah, you did. I, you I did. You did. suffered through it for my brother. <laughs> yeah. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> you used that out of context. Yes, I did. Um, you know, another thing Ryan does, at 4.30 every day, at 4.30 every single day, this guy furiously starts cleaning our office. He grabs, like, Windex and a paper towels, and it looks like a tick. He's like, he just doesn't stop. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he goes, uh, he's like, this office is filthy. Like, he gets upset about it. And, like, no joke, I look around and everything looks really clean and nice. <laughs> I'm always like, really? That's because of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I'm no good with files, with graphics, with anything like that. Ryan will say to me, Jonathan, is your website photo a 376 by 376? And I'm like, what are you saying to me? I was like, I don't even know what, this, what you're saying. But... Like, well, the first time I met Ryan, because I have no, no clue about graphics and files and how to hold them and house them and all the rest, I ended up erasing, what, like three or four years worth of your work? Yeah, we went through these, uh, what was that, about five years ago, something like that? Six, six years ago now. Um, the church used to use Dropbox that we all shared, you know, and we all used the desktop uploader. Computers and things like that are not Jonathan's wheelhouse. Um, and I had all of my templates, uh, unrendered files that I could go back and edit any time just to get graphics done really quick that were, you know, four, five, six-year-old files. Jonathan decided he didn't want this folder called templates in his Dropbox and just <laughs> deleted it. It's the closest I've ever come to murdering somebody. <laughs> so it's important that you know... <laughs> That while we go on our conversation today, we're calling it unity, not uniformity. And when we were planning on talking about this unity, not uniformity, we were like, Ryan, you and I need to speak together um, (laughs) because this is unity, not uniformity. We do nothing alike. I mean, you could say more. I know you have more. Yeah, I mean, we have political differences. We have theological differences. He likes IPAs. I like unfiltered bitter beers. Anybody with me? Thank you, Gracie. We've sampled a few of those together. He's short. I'm tall. He has hair. I don't. He has muscles. I don't. 
He wears straight leg jeans. I wear boot cuts. I think I, I, think I come out the winner. <laughs> we also differ on that. Oh. <laughs> But we took, we both, everybody, anybody ever visit the website BeliefNet before? Anybody know what that is? They have this really great quiz on there about, uh, that you can take that tells you what kind of a Christian you are, what denomination or movement you would fall into. And we even rate very differently on that. Um, Jonathan comes out one way, I come out another. And theologically, like, we're even pretty far apart. Ryan comes out as an Eastern Orthodox Universalist. Yes. And you come out as a pacifist Quaker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't, in, in, in that spirit, maybe you should just sit while I talk and you can sit and contemplate and the maybe, inner light. <laughs> I'll do that. And maybe in the spirit of what you do, maybe you can leave this church because it's a Christian church and you can worship <laughs> other gods. So there's that. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I won that round. But you, you did. But, um... How in the world can two guys, well, even on a friendship level, that are so different, be friends? And then you take that into like a work environment and then into a Christian work environment. How can you have two guys work together towards the same vision that are on so many different pages on all of these very important things? How is that possible? You know, there's this... um, thing we humans have, especially those of us uh, that consider ourselves people of faith, people of belief, there's this sort of like virus in us that causes us to want to cluster together with everyone that is just like us. We don't like to be around people that are different. We only want to hang out with people that think like we do or believe like we do or share the same tastes as we do. And maybe it's because I'm an Eastern Orthodox Universalist. (laughs) I've always believed that paradox is a really good thing. I've always believed that plurality is a really good thing. I've always believed that differences are a really good thing. Can you imagine if everyone was just like you? It'd be be hell on earth. But, um, you know, if you look into uh, the, the Gospels, Jesus had some last words to his disciples that he, uh, he spoke to them about the topic of unity. It's interesting, you know, when somebody's getting ready to pass away and their family's surrounding them or in the hospital bed or whatnot, you'll hear stories and stories and stories over and over again about how those last words were their most important words. They gave their last opinions about life. They gave their last opinions about what really matters. And this is what Jesus did in John 17. These were one of his last words. Uh, This was his last prayer for his disciples. He wrote, he said this, my prayer is not for those who already believe. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I I used to struggle with this one, but when you read it, it makes sense. I get that a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That's nice. <laughs> I'm a universalist. I, I can go. I can apply to anybody. <laughs> but there, it's like a drop the mic moment, really. I mean, we could read that and walk out of here about this unity over uniformity business. The very last words from the lips of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God in flesh. What was his message? What's the last thing he wanted his disciples to remember? Unity. How does the message of the gospel get out into the world? What does Jesus say? It doesn't happen by what you and I say. It doesn't happen by what you and I believe. It happens by how well you and I walk together in unity. That's what reveals the message of Jesus to the world. What's the difference between unity and uniformity, then, you might ask? Well, think about the word uniformity. What's the word in the middle of the word uniformity? Form. That's right. Way better than first service people. Yeah, yeah. they struggled a minute. They struggled. They were like, ah. Uniformity is a word that, uh, at least in my mind, conjures up uh, images of, uh, you know, like production lines where... I don't know, maybe cars being put together or something. Uniformity is unity in form. It's all about the outer. It's all about governing one's behavior. Maybe there's surveillance involved in that. It's all about looking the same way, acting the same way, choosing the same things. Uniformity is unity of form. Well, unity, on the other hand, is a completely different thing. Unity is something that has to do with the heart. It gives us some wiggle room. It means we don't have to look the same and act the same and have all the same tastes. It means that we can see a larger picture, and that picture is Jesus. It's about the heart, not about the form. That's the difference between unity and uniformity. I think you would probably agree with me when I would say that one of the things the church um, has struggled with over the years is the idea that when it comes to scripture, uh, we have to be uniform, right? Every, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I, think, I think it's worth pointing out that as, at Forefront, I think part of the reason we've done such a great job as a church, uh, part of the reason we're growing, part of the reason that we're, we're making moves in this city is because um, we've allowed ourselves to, to take Scripture so incredibly seriously that we realize we don't have to be uniform about it. Now, what does that mean? I'll explain it to you. Um, do you know, Ryan, that none of us, not a single one of us in the whole world, read the Bible objectively? Did you know that? Yes. <laughs> Very good. Very good. We don't. There's nobody here that reads the Bible objectively. We read the Bible through our own cultural lens, and we read the Bible through our own personal experiences. This is true, okay? And it's been true for thousands upon thousands of years. I'll give you an example. Uh, we've been telling a lot of great stories lately. We've been telling stories of, uh, of people whose lives have been changed. Well, what if I told you this story? Let's just say uh, that somebody walked into the office last week, and they said, Jonathan, I really need to talk with you. And I said, well, what is it? And they said, I'm wearing a poly blend shirt today. And I said, oh my gosh, poly blend, really? And they said, yeah, and I got to be honest, it feels really nice. And I'm not sweating as much. And I said, oh man, but it's poly blend. Did you pray about it? Now, why does that matter? 
I'll tell you why. Because in Sunday school, you all learned this, that in Deuteronomy 22.11, it says, Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. And then in Leviticus, it tells us again, not to wear clothes of two different fabrics put together. How many people follow that rule? I'm looking at all of you. None. All right? That means that we are not reading the Bible objectively. We are reading the Bible in the midst of our own cultural lens, and we're reading it in the midst of our own experience. Let me give you another example. Um, What if today we were, uh, a greeter was outside, and somebody came in, and somebody walked into church, and the greeter said, hey, welcome. And they said, hey, um, are you welcoming to people that have braided hair? And the greeter went, oh, wow, tough question. Um, You know, we welcome everyone. Uh, but if you have braided hair and you really want to keep your braided hair, well, we're going to have to talk. Um, you know why? Because Paul writes a letter to Timothy, and in this letter he says, Likewise, women shouldn't adorn them, or should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly attire. Who's wearing a gold necklace today? Come on, raise your hand. You are not following the Bible objectively. <laughs> You're not being objective in the way you read Scripture. And that's okay, all right? If you, if you are going to eat a delicious shrimp taco after church today, you're not reading the Bible objectively, okay? If, and I, this is sad, and I hate to say it, but if you have lost your husband but did not marry your brother-in-law, you're not reading the Bible objectively, all right? You're just not, okay? Uh, if you, uh, um, if you um, I don't know, if you're against slavery, you're not reading the Bible objectively, because Peter tells us, slaves, obey your masters, even to the point of beating your death, for so, such as Christ has suffered, so must you suffer, or something to that effect. We read the Bible through our own lens. We read the Bible through our own experience. We read the Bible through our own culture, and that's what has been happening for thousands upon thousands of years. Here's a real story. I have a really great friend of mine, and he says to me, Jonathan, for the first 15 years of my life, I had no certainty, none whatsoever. I thought that uh, when I got home, my mom might be yelling at my dad. I might not be able to eat. We might have to move. We moved often. And he said, so when I became a Christian, all I wanted was certainty. I wanted the words in that Bible to mean exactly what they said right there in plain English, and that's what I did. That's how I followed the scriptures. That's what I told people. There it is. It's right there. I believe it. I'm going to follow it. It's impossible to do. He was looking at it through his own lens, his own experience. Um, I'm going to blow up your spot, Ryan, for a moment. Go right ahead. (laughs) I have no spot to blow up, but go ahead. (laughs) Ryan and his parents differ greatly theologically, like really differ. Um, there, There are times where Ryan's dad might not have overtly ever said this, but probably thinks that you're not a Christian. Like, Well, let me reference, you know that text he sent me? No, I, I told you about it a couple weeks ago. Um, <laughs> my dad watches all my sermons that I give, and my dad has a MDiv. He was a pastor for 100 years or something like that. <laughs> and um, I was preaching this sermon on the book of Job, and he, he's, my dad's really great, encouraging, wonderful father figure. He texts me, and he says, hey, great job on your sermon today. And I said, well... I know you probably disagree with my interpretation, Dad, but that's just the way I see it. And he texts it back, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I got out of him. But yeah, that's so true. 
because we're looking at it through different cultural lenses yes. and different experiences, okay? This is the way we operate in Scripture. In fact, for thousands upon thousands of years, God has used monks, mystics, people who live in the deserts, peasants, rich people, men, women, everyone in between to bring about God's message, God's good word, to show us how we can relate to God and how God relates to us. And it happens through the Scriptures, okay? And yet, for some reason... You know, I've, I've said this to you guys before, and it's worth saying again. The, earth, the universe is 14 billion years old. The earth is 6 billion years old. Humanity has been around for 200,000 years. God has been at work in all of it the entire time. And yet, in 2016, in this little tiny blip on the timeline, the size of, of a dot on a pencil, we sit here and we go, well, I know exactly what God wants. This is it. It's clear. The Bible says what does that make God? Makes him finite. Makes him no bigger than we are. And so here's the deal. At our church, at Forefront, we take the Bible seriously. And there's no pun intended. The Bible is at the forefront of our lives, okay? It really is. Uh, we take it uh, so incredibly seriously that we believe it's inspired. We believe it's the inspired word of God. Uh, we take it seriously because we believe that God is giving us stories and letters and poems and a lot of beautiful stuff um, that shows how people relate to God and how God relates to us. We get to see all that. But we take the Bible too seriously to think that for a second the words on the page are right there in their instructions and this is it, this is what we must do without looking at the context or the experience. I will read text. I will obey. Yes, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the, the song my wife used to listen to by Burlap and Cashmere. <laughs> Basic instructions before leaving yes. earth. That's an acronym, Bible. How many we, of you like them? Raise your hand. Exactly. Yeah. Take was, that off the video or we're going to get sued. It was, called, <laughs> it, was called, it was called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, Bible. An um, acronym. And, we, and when we think that way, we miss out. So I know last week when I spoke this message in Manhattan, everything I just said kind of bothered people. People were like, ugh. You know, like, I don't, I don't, well, if you can't, you know, it's the slippery slope. Well, if we have to take everything by context, well, what if none of it matters? No, we don't believe that either. This thing matters. Uh, and here's why. Because Jesus and then this other guy, this apostle, his name was Paul, they both read scripture the same way as we do. They both read scripture through subjective cultural lenses the same way we do. Let's take a look at Jesus. Jesus comes into the world and he knows the scripture backward and forward. He knows the Old Testament. And yet, when he gets around a bunch of people, he says, you have heard it said in scripture, you've heard it said in the law, but I say, so he'll say, you've heard it said an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but I say, love your enemies, right? And so people will go, Jesus, you're messing with the scripture. You're changing it. You're doing whatever you want with it. He goes, no, I'm fulfilling it. He's like, I'm giving you a new way to see it. See it through a way of peace. Or when Jesus tells a parable, right, it says the people are astonished. He told this incredible story, this parable. People are astonished and they say, Jesus, what did that parable mean? And Jesus goes, what do you think it means? That's what I do every time someone asks me a theological question, too, just yeah. to buy some time. Totally. <laughs> you have to, yeah. But he says, what do you think it means? And oftentimes, he won't ever answer it. Oftentimes, he won't tell you what it, what, what it means. Oftentimes, he says, That's for, how is the Spirit working in you? How is God working in you to bring about this new life in Christ, to bring about this new idea that I'm the, um, uh, the, the you know, the the greatest commandment, which says, uh, love the Lord Jesus Christ, or love your God with all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Like, how is this parable fit to, to bring that kind of gospel message? 
And so it's this whole new paradigm. It's this whole new shift. I think if, if, if Jesus wanted to read plain words on a page, uh, he would have brought the law, and he would have been like, everybody, here's the law. Don't mess with it. Leave it alone. This is it, and this is the way it's going to stay. Uh, I'm saying this parable. This is the parable. This is what it means. Here's what I'm trying to get across. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Don't interpret it. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And yet Jesus gives us room after room after room to look through our own cultural lens, to look through our own experience, and to find the way of the gospel message. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. What about Paul? You know what happened to Paul? I think you can guess. I, yeah, I know what happened to Paul. Tell them. Tell the people what happened to Paul. He about the horse yeah, and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got knocked off of a horse and he had a vision yeah. of Jesus. What was Jesus doing? Talking to Paul. He was yelling at him. He was scolding him. Oh, that's reading it subjectively. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the most, you know, think about that. Paul, everything we read from Paul in Scripture comes out of the subjective experience of Paul having been knocked off a horse, blinded, and scolded by God. All right? And so he's coming at it from a very different place. And so when he writes this letter to the Corinthians, he starts off writing this letter by saying, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I love that. Okay, I love it because uh, what, what is he getting at? He's not saying like you all have to believe the exact same thing and have it figured out the exact same way. What he's saying is you guys have, have this cult of personality. Some of you like the way that I interpret the Bible and interpret the law. And, and, and others of you like the way Peter does it. Uh, I get it. Peter, he, um, he was with Jesus. And so you would like the way Peter interprets the Bible, interprets the law, interprets these letters. And then there's Apollos. And from what I can gather from like historical, you know, whatever, is that Apollos was sort of like, um, like the Joel Osteen of the time. Like, real slick dude, good-looking fella. Had That's a lot. going on Twitter later. It will. <laughs> I, it, you, you, fine, look it up in the book. So, so uh, what, what, what Paul is saying, he's saying, like, I, I get it. You, you like this interpretation. You like the way that this person thinks about Christianity. You like the way I think about it. And then he says something that talks about, or specifically talks about what unity looks like. What does unity look like? And it's a very simple line. And he says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? And then he says something super sarcastic. Was Paul crucified for you? Was Christ divided? And in one truth, we get the answer. Or in one quote, we get the answer of of what's true, of what unity looks like. There is unity in Christ. There is unity in the life of Christ. There's unity in the teachings of Christ. There's unity in the fact that everything Christ does moves people towards growth and maturity and peace in this kingdom. All right? There's the, 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 the unity is, is looking to Christ and the people he hung out with. It's looking at the people he loved. It's looking at the people he admonished. It's looking at his death. It's looking at his resurrection. It's looking at what he told people will happen after his resurrection when he was gone. That is what makes us unified. It's that. I love what um, uh, Jesus is about to die. I love what he says to the disciples. He says, disciples, uh, you are going to do greater things than even me when you have the power of the Spirit. You're going to do greater things than even I will. And the disciples are like, no way. And they're like, no way, because they were a mess. They were beat up. They were kind of awful people. And yet, that's exactly what happened. 
The disciples end up being unified in the spirit. And now you have a church that's three and a half billion people strong around the world. What about us? I like this quote from Fred Craddock, and I think it helps us to understand where we are and who we are moving forward, um, if I can ever find the quote. Um, in fact, Cody, if you want to put the quote on the screen. Oh, you got the quote? Nice. I love it Fred so Craddock, much. Right there. I love it so much that I lost it. But he says this, okay? He says that even if one believes the Bible is inerrant, perfect or directly handed to humanity from God, there's still no way to glean an absolute understanding from the texts. After all, we're imperfect. And as such, all that we perceive flows through this imperfect vessel. And the good news is that the Bible is full of imperfect vessels still being used for incredible good. So maybe rather than absolutes, we're meant to focus on growth, improvement, and restoration. That's who we can be as a church unified. In Jesus Christ, unified, working on growth, working on improvement, and working on restoration, working on reconciliation, working on telling incredible stories, and in fact, uh, working on telling a story like the one that I want us to hear today from our good friend Andy Hill. Can we play that? I spent my whole life struggling with a chronic but undiagnosed depression. I was praying one night for the same thing I'd always prayed for, that God would make me straight. And God, why haven't you made me straight yet? And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me something he had never spoken to me before. How much longer are you going to pray for this? And my response was, what? <laughs> How much longer are you going to pray for this? I've made you for so much more for, than this prayer, but you're not going to see it until you stop asking me for this. And just accept that maybe this is how I made you. And overnight, that undiagnosed chronic depression broke. I was a deacon at a large church here in Manhattan uh, when I came out. We all finally agreed that I probably should not be a deacon anymore. So I stepped down. I had been so at home and so comfortable in um, evangelical churches that do not fully embrace gay people, that even after I came out, I still felt so comfortable in those environments, I didn't quite understand how important it was to be in a place that was not like that, that was, that was fully embracing. I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my chest, and I finally felt free to speak freely. So I set up a Facebook group for the new gay friends that I had, just as a way for them to stop feeling so marginalized. People started asking me where they could go to church. Even though I had not yet attended Forefront, I had heard about it. And I remember very clearly that gay people are welcome at Forefront. And I just remember it bringing several of us to tears. One of the things that I love about Forefront is that it's a place where we can just be ourselves, we can just be transparent. I started dating someone and we ultimately ended up together at a different church here in the city. When the relationship ended, I knew I was coming back to Forefront. In all the churches that I had attended, if I had shown up to church on a Sunday morning 
in that heartbroken state, I would have to hide it to avoid the conversation, why am I heartbroken? That expression of sympathy that I received from Ryan and Jonathan after my relationship ended, that spirit is infused throughout Forefront, and I could feel it. We talk about unconditional love, but we draw a separation between loving someone and welcoming them. And there should be no separation. Why Forefront feels like home is that it feels like the first church I've ever attended where there is no difference between unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. Hey, let's give it up for Andy. Andy's actually here with us today. He's like an exercise guy. He actually swam across the East River to be here today. <laughs> Not really. Hey, so how does that make you feel when you see that? Good? I think more than probably any other video we'll show you in this series together in this. The topic in that video highlights maybe some of our differences more than just about any other. Some of you may wanted to cheer at the end of that clip. Others of you may have wanted to throw things. Others of you may have wanted to get up and walk out. Others of you may have felt nothing at all. But the church and those who identify as LGBTQ or LGBT+, as we all know, have been for some now, for some years now, engaged in a great deal of tension, a great deal of debate. Where is their place? And I believe, and in some way, I, I, I know it sounds arrogant to say this, but in some way I think this is even a little bit prophetic. I think that we are in a point in church history where the phrase, everyone is welcome, has lived out its time. It's not relevant anymore. It doesn't say enough. Everybody's saying that. Whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist or you're Episcopalian or Presbyterian or non-denominational, interdenominational. Universalist. Universalist. Everybody's website, everybody's church website says everyone's welcome under about us or whatever. And it's not enough. It's like this line that pastors cast into the water with bait on it to get fish out of the water. But the fish are waking up to what the bait really is. It's not a sentence with a period on it any longer. It, the sentence now reads, everyone is welcome, comma, but. And no one's willing to stand up and answer that question. It can only mean one of two things, and I'm of the personal opinion that the church needs to be the one talking about difficult social concepts and theological issues more than any other institution or organization on the face of the earth. And this phrase, everyone is welcome, practically, though it looks good on a graphic on a website, it can only mean one of two things. We only get two choices. It can mean everyone is welcome, but once we get you out of the water and into our church and you start to get involved and you start to uh, get to know people, we're going to try to form you and mold you into a being just like we are. 
That's what that phrase means for many, many churches. In other words, if you come into this place, what we want is uniformity. The second option, though, and what this can mean that is beautiful, everyone is welcome can mean we realize that we have differences, but we choose to be heart-focused instead of form-focused. And that is freedom. That is liberty. And that's what the Holy Spirit is in. That's unity. That's unity. One way demands that change comes from the outside in. Look like us, act like us, be like us. Behavior modification. The other way encourages change from the inside out. And it gives people the freedom to process this vast mystery that we call God for themselves. Because we recognize that we are here for one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus. Augustine said it this way, which is the best it's ever been put. He wrote, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. That's good, right? It's going to be my next tattoo. Where are you going to put it? It's probably like a thigh piece. Down my leg. Yeah. It's kind of long. Yeah. Um, here, you know, here, here's what sets uh, here's what sets forefront apart. Here's the deal. Um, everybody has opinions, uh, and and uh, yeah, sometimes we don't agree. Sometimes they're they're scary. Sometimes we end up living in the intention with with other people. Um, but I think our church is a church that is unique, that is doing great things in this city, that will continue to do great things in this city because I see positive tension here. I see people who can be united in Christ and believe uh, in uh, very different things. I see Calvinists sitting next to Arminians. I see Catholics sitting next to Lutherans. I see people who think the Bible is inerrant sitting next to people who don't believe in the Bible at all. I see Quakers sitting next to Universalists. I see, I see people who uh, are, are affirming towards the LGBTQ community sitting with people who are not affirming towards the LGBTQ community. And it's unified. It's unity because we're all one in Christ. I also see a bunch of people sitting together who have no idea what I just said about any of those denominations <laughs> or theological positions or anything else. And this is unique. And it's Why special. Why is he talking about people from Armenia? <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I thought till I was like 29. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, it's unique. It's special. It's to be cherished. This is who we are. We are united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're together in this We walk alongside one another, maybe not agreeing with each other on everything, but we push one another towards maturity and growth and beauty. We heal, we reconcile, and we do it because we are together. This is us. This is our church. We're not uniform. We are absolutely 100% united. Amen? I'll let you pray. All right, let's stand. Let's uh, close our eyes. I want to begin with a bit of a centering exercise. I want you to think about everything it is about yourself that you don't like, that you wish God would change.
I want you to think about those moments where you're alone with secrets that no one knows. That you wish God would just change. And however it is you picture God in your mind's eye, I would like you to imagine God saying to you, I love you just as I made you. I love you just as you are on the way to where you're going. You are accepted. You are loved for who you are, not for how you behave. God, I know this has been an encouraging message for some today and a difficult message for others. I don't know why it is that uh, the church has somehow become this institution over the years that claims to own the real estate of people's minds. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for being dogmatic and sectarian. Forgive us for being a bunker that's buried far underground beneath a locked door instead of a lighthouse that's welcoming people in. God, I pray that you would show, the, show us how you are living in our enemies. You are living in those we don't agree with. You are living in those that we have opinions about, that we choose to separate from. I pray that our goal as people of faith would be to look for you in the hearts of other people and see how much more we have in common, how much more we share together, how beautiful plurality is, how beautiful equality is, how beautiful a lack of separation is, that we are one in Christ Jesus who came to redeem all things in the universe and draw them to himself. We ask this in his name this morning. Amen.